curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything, Mr. Curiosity. All right, folks, Mr. Curiosity here, also known as Joe Snedeker with another Joe, Joe Calbro from uh, the Circle Drive-In. But before we get to Joe, I got to tell you this, Joe, if you, if you don't mind, because this is all about you okay, and your business. But I got to tell you how I got to you, because I didn't really plan on this, as you know. Okay. So, um, you know, I was born in 66. So in the 70s, my parents would start taking me to drive-ins, like a lot of people. Right. And I think the last movie I saw at your place before I had kids was Charles Bronson, Death Wish, right? <laughs> I, mean, I was probably eight years old. And that was the coolest thing in the world. And then, you know, years pass. Um, I started having kids in the uh, 2000s and late 1990s. And I think I saw Nemo at your place when my kids were young. So that's still over 15 years ago. Sure. And I went to an occasional flea market. That's it. Right. So then I got a call two weeks ago from my buddies. We're going to go see Blue Oyster Cult right. at, at the Circle Drive. <laughs> I'm like, okay, sounds like fun. Right. So we, we had a great experience. Unfortunately, the weather was horrible. It was in the 40s with drizzle. Yes. <laughs> and like an idiot, like a typical guy, I didn't bring like a jacket or gloves or anything. <laughs> and I wanted to why, go. Why would you need to? Why <laughs> would you need to? So I go into the, um, in, into the um, concession stand. To warm up. I told him I had to go get something to eat. But the truth is I wanted to go warm up. Right. So I go in there and it's human nature. All of these memories come flooding back. And you probably hear this a lot. Yes. Not too much has changed inside your circle theater concession stand. I felt like I was eight again. I see the <laughs> sign for hot dogs, French fries. I see the countertop, everything. I was filled with this vibe that I couldn't even explain. It was like time right. travel. Right. And I started talking before you know it, you pop out and here we are. <laughs> what do you think? That, you know, the best plans are no plans. That's I know, right? I know, <laughs> I know. And, I, and I'm like, maybe he'll do a podcast. So why don't I ask? And you were great and you were willing. And the best part is I found out that your mom was my superintendent at my high school in the 70s. Yes, yes. It's a small world and it keeps cycling back around, right, Joe? <laughs> the story gets weirder. So uh, <laughs> your name is Joe Calabro. And may I ask you, um, let's start at the beginning. Um, the Circle Drive-In. Uh, where right. are you from? Where is the owner from? Who isn't you, but is related to you? Let's hear it. Um, well, the uh, uh, well, first, I just want to thank you for the, for the time today. It's, uh, these are fun. Uh, well, you, know, you have such you have such a great reputation in the area, and it was fun because full disclosure, when we were standing there, you probably had ten fans come up to you. Uh, they may have had a couple of too many beers, but they were nonetheless <laughs> fans who were just so so happy that you were there. So it, it was very fun to to see your fan group who saw you out of context, and that that was enjoyable. I have to say. Yeah, and then um, there's like there's like honor amongst thieves. Uh, whenever you go somewhere together, like a rock concert, it's like, whoa, he's into this too. That's right. <laughs> you know, let's let's high five. Let's not tell anyone. I love it. Exactly. Thinking it's going to be a secret. Yeah. But, right. Uh, um, so so the history of the place is uh, a little different from my history with the place. But let me start with um, if you want mine first, or actually the the theater. Well, yeah, I'm curious to hear. Uh, the only research on that, I go into these things with no um, plan. And that's the way okay. I like it. 
So I find out that in the 1930s, drive-ins start popping up all over the country. And then they peak right. in the 50s and 60s, which, with maybe 3,000 of them across the United States. Right. And now there's just a few hundred left. And yours is one of them. But you told me, all I know is there's some 90-some-year-old uncle of yours who passed away, and he started this whole thing, right? Yes. So, so <laughs> um, uh, the, the drive-in, the circle started in 1949. And it was... Nine. And it was one of the early ones in the country uh, when they were at their peaks in the 50s and early 60s. There were, uh, I think, about 3,000. Yeah. And now there's a little over 300. Um, the, uh, my uncle and aunt, uh, Mike and Gwen Delfino, had a drive-in that they started in 53 in Honesdale called the Maple Drive-In. And I bet, I bet uh, to that one too. And I haven't heard about okay. that since then. This is weird. Okay. Well, that they, they built that and ran it. And then in 63. Now, uh, could you they, may I ask your uncle, the Delfinos? Is that yes. what you said? Delfinos? Yes. Where were they born? Uh, Mike was born on the west side of Carbondale. And Gwen, who was my father's sister, was born on Belmont Street in Carbondale. So these are my people. And I was born a quarter of a mile up from Belmont street. It's in my blood. Yeah. Yeah. So this it's is you, weird. Right, right there. Well, what made them want to start a, a drive-in theater in Honesdale? How does that happen? Well, uh, my uncle at the time was uh, working on the, on the train as a dispatcher. Right. And he decided that that was not going to be the only <laughs> career that he had. And my aunt was a teacher in the Carbondale school district. Get uh, but, but my grandfather her father had been a businessman in Carbondale since the 20s. He had uh, the old Liberty Hotel. He had an import grocery store. He had the gas station on the corner there on River Street and uh, uh, Salem Avenue. Okay. He had, uh, he started the Liberty Theater, which was a silent theater up uh, where Pinky's Restaurant is up, used to be over down on the corner by the nursing home. I don't recall he, that. Yeah, that was before your time and before my time. Um, and, uh, you know, he was instrumental with, uh, starting the, the Mount Carmel church. So he, he was a true immigrant story who came here at age 10, uh, never saw his parents or his family again, and somehow got from Ellis Island to Carbondale Is and started all, I'm sure Cole brought him here, right? Like everybody um, else. Actually, actually, it wasn't interestingly enough. He came here cause I think he thought there was opportunity, but he never worked in the mines. Okay. He, when he, when he came here, he, uh, worked as a, a kind of a chambermaid type thing in a boarding house so that he could afford to live there. He was so what, 10, 11, 12. What's his country of origin? Uh, he was from Italy. He was from uh, Calabria, Italy. So he's Southern Italian. See, uh, I, didn't have speak theory. I have yep. this theory that, that cause I have Slovakian and Polish roots. Mm -hmm. My theory is that in, this is only anecdotal. All of us Northern European guys, we were the backbreaking workers. And then you Mediterranean uh, immigrants, like the Italians, are the ones that started the business. Why is that? Why did you know? I, you know, I, I I would love to go back. It seems that way. Doesn't it? Talk about it. I'd love to go back 150 years and sit in a room with you and I and them. Yeah. To yeah. really understand what that thought was when they all came here. Right. They had nothing. nothing. And they came here for the future, and um, they all decided different pathways to the future. Uh, you know, when my grandfather came here, as the story goes, he was so impressed with coming to America and with the Statue of Liberty 
than every single one of his businesses throughout his career was named Liberty. Get out of here. And, and, and the logo was the little Statue of Liberty uh, torch on all of his businesses to this day, my generation, I have a couple of things that are called Liberty. I have, we have restaurants in DC that are called Liberty. So we've kept that lineage because if you're 10 years old and don't speak the language and are left here with nobody yeah. and you can make it, that, that's a strong, a strong connect for us, as you yeah, can imagine. And Liberty Tax, nothing to do with you guys. They took the name too. No, somebody else took it. I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then he starts these businesses. So he, so, so my grandfather starts these businesses. While my they, grandfather is working in the mines for a penny a day, probably getting uh and he was coming and he was coming to the bar afterwards. Yeah, he was having, a beer, <laughs> having a beer with that. Yeah. So so it was uh, um, working off the mines, but really being the hospitality side of the mines. And that. my uh, my aunt, Gwen, worked with my grandfather for years. And then when she got married to Mike Delfino, um, they decided that they wanted to start a business. And I think it was really that Mike wanted to do something on his own because he was entrepreneurial. Okay. And while he was working night shifts on the, uh, at the train as a dispatcher, he started a business. So he was working a full-time job uh, as a dispatcher while he was starting his businesses and did that for years uh, until the businesses got successful enough that he retired early from uh, being a dispatcher. So one of the businesses he poked into was real estate up in Honesdale. Am I following your story? And then he started yep. the drive. Yep. Then he bought real estate up in Honesdale and he decided that in the area, there was nothing like that. And it was on the fringe of the Poconos, bought property and built the circle or excuse me, the Maple Drive-In in 53 before I was around, before you were around. And then during this entire time, my grandfather was still just going into the mines and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was an important job in those days. I know, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so then so, the Homesdale one, did that, did that immediately work out? Um, it took them a couple of years because it was new, very, very new. But, <clears throat> right. You know, in those days, I mean, by the time I was, I guess, maybe 10, 8 or 10, I worked there. And in the summertime, we would still have to go with the little posters to all the camps and put the poster with what movies were coming in over the next couple of weeks in the, and all, all the summer camps that came in, that was the majority of the people who would come. It was a summer business at the time. And uh, it, it took a few years before it got up and running, but it became successful enough that after 10 years, they decided to, uh, to buy the circle. I guess it must've come up for sale and they bought it. I'm wondering this. I'm wondering two things. When you say I'm going to start a drive-in, is it literally a piece of land and you have to get the axe and, 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 and chainsaw and cut everything down, flatten it, and, and buy a big projection screen or build it and, and attach the panels and attach the electrical? Like, how does all that happen? How does one yeah, well, say I'm going to do um, it? You know, I, I was not there when that happened, but, as, not, as right. the story, but as the story goes, it was a blank piece of land. <laughs> And uh, it was up on Route 6 in Indian Orchard, right across yeah, from the yeah. state police barracks. Uh, it's now the Ford dealership that's up there. Okay. And uh, so they, they erected a metal screen and they cleared the land and they built a concession stand and they put this, the old speaker posts in because that you know, was hardwired to put the speaker in your window in those days in the 50s. Yeah. And that was their business. It just seems and, like, and maybe I'm not a go-getter. It just seems like if I had to do all that, I'd be like, oh, no. 
I'm just going to go to the mines and shovel some coal today. I mean, that's a lot to do. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of risk, especially, yeah. you know, neither one of them was in that business. Right. And uh, they just decided that this was something that was cutting edge, that they would get out in front of it. And that became their, their love is that business. Um, and it was small and they could manage it. Yeah. But my uncle wasn't satisfied with just the one. Of course not. Of course. And, and although my aunt was not as uh, 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 risky, risk-taking yeah. as my uncle was, he convinced her to buy the circle in 63. And, and here's what I'm wondering then, if this was the time of drive-in theaters, why wasn't the circle hitting grand slams so that someone didn't want to sell it? You would think, you know. I, yeah. And it was an interesting question. I asked that question many times to him. And he said, because there were multiple partners at the time and it wasn't anybody's main job. It was oh. kind of an investment. And oh. so it didn't have the passion to be able to grow it. I think oh, that I see. It. That's a sufficient answer. Do you know why it was called Circle? Uh, because on Route 6, a little bit south of there was the circle, because there used to be a circle, like a traffic circle. Oh, really? Where before, the you went down to, before you went down to Scranton or up to Clark Summit. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and again, this is it was built in 49. Now, that highway was not much of a highway. There were a handful of businesses, and that was one of the only businesses on that highway at the time, from Carbondale all the way down to Scranton. Is that so you right? got a little for it. Yeah, this was... You know, there wasn't much of anything. I mean, you and I know it that it was, you know, already had the mall, already had the other things. That was yes, way before any of that Plaza, stuff Target, Walmart, the mall. Nothing. Was there. Yeah, nothing. It was just nothing. This, this. I wonder if that was coal land up there because it's definitely. It uh, is. Is it up on the back? Up on the back part of the property because the front part is about thirty acres. The back is another fifty acres. The back was all just uh, mines and and you know barren land. So, so he buys this. Does he improve it? And what? How old is he? In what year is this? Uh, Sixty-three. Sixty-three. So he he was probably uh, like in his thirties, something like yeah, that. late thirties, probably. And there he is, this entrepreneur, this businessman, movie theaters, businesses, right. and 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 immediately yeah. successful. Do you think the theater? Uh, it it became very successful because at the time, you know, drive-ins were still very. Um, cutting edge people liked them it was different it was very family oriented yeah he, he shied away from doing any of the you know that period of time when there was a lot of the, the x-rated stuff he, he wouldn't go there and he kept it family friendly <laughs> like the um, oak hill right in old forge they went there that, yeah yes they, they went there yes. and they're not there anymore so i guess that's probably a proof <laughs> uh so you know it, it moved along over those years and uh he uh, decided probably i think it was 71 or 72 that he needed to expand it more and he and my dad at the time now my dad uh, is also from carbondale and he used to run the liberty hotel that was our families and so that's okay. what he did and uh, he would work with them and so they he took a ride to uh, upstate new york and he said you know i'm gonna go take a look at this flea market I heard about this when I was at a convention. So they drive up there and there's a ton of people up there and say, I'm going to start one of those. And, and he would tell that to the day he died. He said, you know, and your father told me that I was crazy. That would never go. But I said, well, we're going to try it. So this your and dad or your uncle? Uh, my dad told my uncle that my uncle was crazy. Because but my uncle, 
because he didn't think it was going to work. He didn't think it was going to work. So wait, to, to back up though, so flea markets weren't a big thing then? Almost none. Get out. Almost none. There, and there's I another thing I just thought always existed, but no. No, there were, you know, it, there were some down south, some in the Midwest. Right. There was a couple here and there. There were none in anywhere near the central or northeastern part of Pennsylvania at all. Um, people would have like garage sales and they would have, you know, church bazaar sales, but nothing right. that was an organized thing. And this is a time when the theater, the drive-in was flourishing. So there's no yep. need to say, let's do a, a flea market. It's not like he needed more, but it was doing great. And no, it, it was doing great, but he was always, looking he for was more. always conscious to not, <laughs> to not settle on what was there because you never, as he would say, you never know when the next shoe is going to drop. Wow. And oh, uh, flea market idea. So it started the flea market. It started off very slow. Um, I used to work there when I was a kid because by this time now I'm early teen. And this is and 70s, 1970. This is uh, early 70s. Early 70s. And uh, flea markets now. <laughs> yeah. So there were like, I think the first day there were 10 people there, maybe 15 people. And he kept building it up over the years, over the years, over the years. And now, you know, if it's a sunny, nice summer Sunday, All right. we'll have, you know, two to 300 vendors. We'll have thousands of people that'll be coming in and out during the day. And it, you know, we continually, as you know, get high, high scores from everybody. People come from tri-state area to be vendors and to come and visit it and the farm market part of it. Um, we're, we're this year, we're looking to curl it because we, we had a lot of requests to do craft fairs. And so we're going to try some Saturdays now, not just Sundays, where specific craft fairs. There's even one that uh, maybe it's not your genre and it's a little out of my mind, but it's a punk rock uh, flea market. Well, makes you think I'm not a punk rock. <laughs> Come on, Clash, Good Charlotte. Come on. All right. Well, I, I missed. I, I missed. Sex that. Pistols. Come on. <laughs> so there's a, a few Saturdays that we're actually going to do punk rock festival at night and during the day a flea market. And there's like. I think 75 or 100 punk rock oriented vendors who are coming up to do their stuff on a particular Saturday. And then that evening is going to be some movies that are of their choice. Oh, my God. So that's got to be unique to have this just carryover, this crossover. You're doing the flea market for a specific target audience and right. then movies with that target audience. Yeah. So you figure you have one thing with the movies. Oh, man. And the flea market's a different group, some crossover, but a different group. And that really was it for many years. Part of the issue with the movies is that in the beginning, the drive-in could never get first-run movies. Yes, that's, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, and it took a long time and a lot of fights. And, and Mike, my uncle, was at the forefront of that fight with the industry to get drive-ins, to get what they call day and date. So whenever it's released, it's released both at an indoor as well as a drive-in. And they finally won that battle. So before you're in my time, was it always like that though? In the say in the '60s, could you get um, first run? That day and date didn't happen until probably late '70s or '80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so now you're you're putting this pigeonhole where you have older or second-rate movies, and that's nice. Yep. And, and it, yeah, and it started to dwindle because people oh, wanted to see the new stuff. It. That was part of it too. He could see that happening. They won the fight as an industry, and they started to. Uh, get first run and you know on a nice summer night if you've got two kids and you want to see a new disney just like you with nemo yeah. what better place to go with your kids and no they love it and, go, right yeah and so 
So those two continued along pretty well over the years. Well, I was trying to think though, if I can interrupt you for a second, the time frame. So 60s, 50s, boom time. Here comes the 70s and you can still show first release movies. But right. now with the 70s, the small towns are dying. So the theaters are going away. But now right. here comes the malls with their big theaters, correct? Yep. So now it's kind of a little bit of uh, probably the beginning of the end of the theater experience because as the city theaters die, right. mall theaters are taking off. So every every town's got a mall or two and they have a new theater, AMC, yep. whatever it was yep. at the time. And now people are doing that instead. Is that what's happening? Yeah, clearly that that started to happen. And then when you got the multiplex, five, yes. 10, 15 screens, what would happen is that the indoors would get the first run. And then if it didn't do well, they'd move it to the little screens because when you have to rent a movie, you have to commit to keep it on your screen for sometimes four to six weeks if it's a big blockbuster. Okay. The, the producers and the movie companies film companies want to have it so that it is, you know, it's there. So they get, and they get a film rental. That's how that works. So whatever the gate is, there's a percentage of that, that the film company, you pay them to rent it for that period of time. Then and now? Continued. Yeah. See, I'm so nosy about that. So let's just yep. say, let's do a, for example, and you can cut okay. me off anytime because I'm curious, but you can sure. say Snedeker, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's say, let's say, uh, a new movie comes out tomorrow. You right. want this thing. Right. Um, it's Rocky 8. I don't know what it is, but it's, right. let's say it's a big movie. Could, could you, it's a gamble still, right? You have to Absolutely. pay for what? The usage for a certain time period? It's called a rental. You pay for a film rental. So, but, but do you uh, get to choose the dates? I mean, the times? Like, I want um, it for a week. I want it for a day. I want to show it 20 times. Uh, a little bit. What happens is most film, most exhibitors, which is somebody who has a, a movie theater like us, you're termed an exhibitor, right. has a booker. And the booker is like a broker with the film oh, company. Man. And so they're negotiating to get them to your screens or to someplace else. And there's a fee that's a percentage fee that they negotiate. So let's say you percentage get Percentage of what you collect? At the gate. Yeah. Oh, man. So let's say it's Rocky 8. Right? Yes. And they think this is going to be a huge movie. They may charge us 70 or 80% of the gate to have that movie on our screen for that period of time. And so there's a negotiation, whether you have it for one week or three weeks with the oh. people who are the agents from the different, uh, you know, MGM or but whoever no, is. The no main. initial fee. You just, it's a percentage usually. It's a percentage of the gate. It's yeah. always a percentage. Yes. You can't it's say a different percent. You can't say I'm going to buy this for 10 grand and I'll have it for a month. It doesn't no, work. It's a percentage no. always. Oh, that's interesting. It's always a percentage. Um, but what happened is that when the, the hard tops, as they call them, the indoor theaters had it, they would take a risk and they would think this is the Rocky eight. And let's say it's a, it's a dud. Yeah. And you know, so if you only have one screen, you're stuck right. maybe for a month and you're essentially out of business for that month. So the whole concept of they'll move it to the smaller um, theaters within their theater. Yeah. And as long as they play it, even if there's only one person, they're fine because they committed for whatever that period of time is and they're paying a percentage of whatever the gate is. Oh, so part of and at the drive-in, we only had the one big screen up until uh, 15, I think. And at 15, 
you know, Mike had wanted to do this 25 years ago, but then just never pulled the trigger to put a second screen up. And as he got older, he was 90 by then, I guess. Um, and I was continuing to try to keep him energized and involved with the business. We said, you know, we need to put a second screen up. So at least if we miss and Rocky eight is a dud, yeah. <laughs> we can move it to the other screen. And oh, so we built the yeah. second screen. And so now we have the two screens so that at least you have a little bit of a chance. Now, if you're, if you're AMC, you've got 10. Yes, yes, yes. So it's not, it's not the same. And there's a few drive-ins across the country who may have three or four screens, but very, very few. Um, most are still single that's... screens and some are double screens. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so it's you, part of the... I mean, how, who, what is there a screen company call? I mean, they erect this big screen. That's got to be tens of thousands of dollars. It's way more than that. <laughs> Hundreds yeah, of yeah. thousands of dollars. Yeah, right. Because it's, you know, it's all metal and you have the different surfaces on it and you have to get all the specs and, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big undertaking and it's usually a steel company. That's an yeah. erector company that has, brings it up with the cranes. And then you have somebody who is an expert in putting those up because of the reflections and the kind of finishes you need. So you can show this, so the movie, so it, it has a good quality um, performance. And being a meteorologist, I know this, that surface area that's exposed to the wind, it's like a sail. You have to have this thing so rigid because the force of the yep. air against that thing, it just wants to yeah. topple down. The, the, the anchors, the footers, Oh my goodness. Um, when we built the new one, we were there for the whole process. The original one was there in 49 before we were there, but right. it, it was a big project. There's a lot of backhoes, a lot of heavy equipment because you couldn't just pop it up and say, oh yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you know, there it blows is. Away. It's, it's, it was a very big undertaking to do that. And then, you know, it's not just the screens because if you remember in the old days, um, the quality on the screen was like, okay. Well, and I still see on the original cool. 49 screen, you can still see the, the, the mosaic, the partitions. You can still see the mosaic of the screen itself, but the yeah. actual projection part of it yeah. used to be film. Okay. And it was ab, you know, truly a big reel of film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would have a projectionist in the back and there were two lamp houses. And so you would have one on and you would have to look up in the corner for the little designation when it was time to flip it to the other one. And then you change it for the time of that movie. Yeah. Um, we still have, I still have the original lamp houses in the garage um, from 1949. Um, it has evolved over the years to be different kinds of film, different kinds of that. But then the industry started to go about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, to digital. And so the digital was an entirely different technology, obviously. So we had to buy entirely new lamp houses, all the computer backup for it. Yeah. All the audio became that. And it was a big decision. And a lot of the drive-in theaters couldn't afford to do it because um, each screen was a couple hundred grand by the time you did the technology and all right. the, the other components of it. So I think that a big piece of that was driven by the film industry because they came out and said, we're not going to give you hard film anymore. It's only going to be digital because they didn't want to have the two medium oh, they had right. to produce. Yeah, that's more costly for them. Yep. So a ton of drive-ins closed, a ton of small regular uh, theaters closed. Yeah. There's another hurdle you have to climb to stay in the business. Yep. Big hurdle. And a lot of the people fell off the edge, both indoor and outdoor theaters. That's why a lot of the indoor, the little single indoors couldn't, uh, couldn't afford the, the capital to be able to do that. Oh, I and, see. Now and they, and they closed their doors. 
So these lamp houses that you're mentioning, the old school ones, one, is it like one bright light source? One big bulb. Could you describe that thing? I bet, how long does it last and how much does that cost? Um, the bulbs themselves, I don't remember, but I know it was a significant amount for the upkeep and they would last so many hours and you would That's track it, right? how many hours. Get out, they would get have out like hours. maybe a hundred hours or something on a bulb. I don't remember exactly. That was a little before my time. Well, maybe but just it, 10, 20, 30 shows and then you have to get a new bulb. Yeah. And there was always, you know, you had to have a projectionist <laughs> who knew how to fix the machine, make sure the bulbs were there. Because if the lamp house went out, <laughs> yeah. you had no movie. You could have 500 people out and there. And then everyone's and going, no eh, eh, exactly. and they're lining up for their money back. And I exactly. imagine that bulb is thousands and thousands of dollars, correct? Uh, it, it was very expensive. Oh, man. Yeah. That, you know, um, a lot of moving parts that you never think about. I know. Um, um, in behind the scenes in something like this. And so, uh, you know, when we transformed, we transformed and we put the digital in because he was convinced he did not want to go the way of the dinosaurs. So he invested a lot of money in changing to digital, uh, invested a lot of money changing and putting the second screen up that was digital. And that's 10 and years so, that was about 10 years ago. And you yeah. can imagine the, the, the risk there because you're thinking this is a dying industry. Yep. But, you, but you, you're holding on to maybe it's not. There's nostalgia. There's heritage. And, it's, and it did come back like he thought it probably would, right? You just yep. hang on. And there's a, and there's a market and a, and a sense for it. It, it. it absolutely, I think if it was a, a somebody who wasn't passionate yeah. of the industry and of what he did, uh, you wouldn't have written that kind of check because it was an enormous, an enormous risk. But it was his life. Uncle Mike, he, loved that. he loved it. He was there every day. He was there all day long. Every single thing he had his fingerprint on, and he absolutely loved the industry. He was a leader nationally in the industry because he'd been Is one of the right? original guys, and you know was on all the boards and uh, the various different advisory committees. Um, now, so was he, he loved in it. other businesses, or is that mainly it? No, once he retired from the from the railroad, yeah, which was probably in the '60s sometime. Right. The the two drive-ins were his. That was his business. That's it. Yeah, that was I his love business. It. So that's his passion. That was his passion. And then when he got older, the one in Homesdale, he thought it was too much of a hassle for him to run both, and so he sold that one. But he would never. He was never going to sell it. He was offered lots and lots of money by the Is big box right? stores. Um, yeah. Before all the big box stores came down below the mall. Yeah. Um, all of them wanted to develop up on that mountain. I was going to say, so that piece of real estate where the circle is, that alone, millions, I imagine. Uh, I don't know what the, what the value is, but, but the worth of it is certainly more than that. It's prime land. It's on the highway there. It's not developed in the back. Right. You know, so that would be a big development, but you know, people wanted to do that. And he would say, there's no price. This is what I want to do. Oh, so, I love it. Does his, he, did, did your aunt, did his, did his wife get involved or mainly she just sat home and counted? No, she, she was very involved. She, oh, in yeah. fact, she ran the one in Honesdale when he ran the one at, at the circle. And so they would leave in the evening at 5.30. She would go to Honesdale. He would drive down to Dixon City. And they did that for probably 40 years until yeah, ultimately they sold when they were in their late 80s, they sold the Honesdale one. So, so is it what, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Is that how it works? Uh, it, it used to be. Um, now it's pretty much every night we have something going on. The movies but when he, are- no, but I'm talking about when he was doing it, that was his, no, that, seven that's days. his job. It, it was, was seven days. It, 
And no. In those so he, days, it was seven days a week. And every day, that's it. He goes to his his drive-in theater. He's projecting. He's opening up the the the, the, the concession stand. He's doing everything. Yeah. Now I'm just nosy about this because yeah, I'm a jerk. Sure. Is this? And I don't know how you're going to tackle this. How you're going to say it eloquently? Does he? Is he a rich guy back? Does he make tons of money doing this, or is it? Um, he. I, I don't know. I, I'm just curious. I wouldn't say that he made tons of money, but he always <laughs> did pretty well. He did pretty well. And, uh, and he did it for so many years and he was not very extravagant. No. Um, you know, he had a very nice home that they had since the seventies. Um, he, uh, you know, he had a nice car, but most of the rest of it, he just saved and invested. And that's why he was such a big benefactor to the community after that. No villa in Italy. Um, second he home really felt strongly about the community. He donated a lot to the Carbondale YMCA when they built the new wing. He donated a lot to Marywood College, which was my aunt's alma mater um, for their outside amphitheater uh, right before he died. Um, he did lots and lots of things in the community because he was not a big spender. You know, they, right. they went on vacation once in a while. They had a nice car. They had a nice house. But most of it, he ultimately invested in investing. You hear so many stories. I think, uh-oh, I think I lost your iPad. Uh-oh, uh-oh, we got to get Jay, we got to get Joe back. His iPad just, his iPad died. Is he coming back? Is he coming back? He's, he better come back. Uh-oh, come on, Joe, come on back, baby. Are you coming back? All right, folks, now this is uncomfortable. So I'm here hanging in the balance. I. I, I got a message from Zoom saying we lost connection, but we're going to get him back. It's going to happen any second now. I can feel it. And until then, I'm just going to tap dance and be like, boom, 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 and he's gone. Whoa. Let me see what we can do here. and get Joe back. All right. All right, so we're going to get Joe back. He's dialing back in. And we're going to be finishing up with this great interview with Joe Calabro from the Circle Drive-In because he's the man. He's the planner. And he's the big dude. And I know he's going to be back stronger than ever. There he is. All right. Any second he's back. Okay. I'm back. Somehow that one got lost. So I put you on my phone. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. No, I don't have video, but at least I can hear you. Okay. Let me see where the video is. Um, Okay. Oh, that? Perfect. It's just okay. it, like it never ever happened. So we'll just edit that part out. <laughs> okay. Well, Joe, I'm so, I'm so so surprised that um, you hear so many stories about these older guys. Yeah. I'm talking about these these first generations to America. They worked hard. They made a lot of money, and they still drove the same car for 30 years. And they lived humble lives, and they worked hard. And then they 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 donated a lot of money and resources to help the community. I hope that's not gone. You know what I mean? Yeah, he he was not 
he was first generation born here. Right. Uh, and he fits in that model. The only exception to that, though, Joe, is that he uh, and I'm laughing because it's one of his uh, the stories that people remember about him. He uh, a few years ago, he was awarded the Governor Casey Philanthropic Award, probably about wow. seven or eight years ago. And they do the little videos and they put the vignette up on the screen for all the people that are coming. And uh, um, they asked him what his uh what his message to the younger people would be if they wanted to be successful. Okay, this is and, good, and man. He, I can't wait. And he would always say, you know, I drive a Cadillac. And they say, yeah, and I get a Cadillac every two years. Okay. <laughs> and he said, whether I need one or not, I get one every two years. And they said, and you know, the same color, same model. Is that right? I've had it for, so he had like 50 years worth or whatever it was. And he said, <laughs> you, you want to drive a Cadillac like me? And they person would say, well, yeah, I'd love to drive a Cadillac. I said, well, it's pretty simple. What job do you have now? I said, well, I work at such and such a place. What time do you work? I work from seven to three. Fine. So you go get another job from four to midnight and that's how you buy the Cadillac. (laughs) And that's what he did for years. He had a day job and then he had a night job. And that's what he instilled in me. Now it's a little bit of, I wish we can instill that. And not that I'm you know, the most outgoing, um, aggressive guy, but now it's, what could the government do for me? You know, and how that has twisted. And I'm not putting in more than eight hours a day. I worked two jobs my whole life. I still do. And I'm proud of that. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's how I was brought up. That's, uh, you know, I, I, in the family, I went to medical school. i practice for years. I run a large physician group. I still do this as a labor of love, but all those years, it was the same thing. My kids will say, dad, what are you going to work an extra for? I said, well, if I work an extra couple of night shifts, I can buy a different car. Or if I work a couple of night shifts, I can afford a mortgage. And that's how I grew up. That's how, you know, I've tried to instill in my kids is that work it. But you're right. That's not the norm, Joe. That's not the norm. And now we're sounding like a couple of old cranky guys, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sure that my kids would agree with that comment. Yeah, mine too. (laughs) I've got one of them upstairs. So, 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 so your uncle, Mike, who ran this through his 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, him and his wife, your aunt never had children. Correct. So now they're older. Do they see a time where they say, now I have to pass the baton on, or did, how did that happen? I mean, how? how... Uh, well, my, my parents both died pretty young. They died in their early fifties and I don't have any brothers and sisters. Um, Mike and Gwen were always very close to a bunch of the nieces and nephews, but I essentially moved in with them when I was in college and, uh, and I always helped them and I always really liked the industry. And so as they were getting older, their view was that, you know, we want this to stay forever. We know you have the business acumen to do it, and we're going to ask you to keep this going. And so that became kind of that, that legacy for the businesses because they didn't really want it to die. So and, that uh, day, did you think like this is a, a, a monkey on your back? Like, oh, my goodness, entrusting this to me? Like, I don't have the time. I've got a life. It, it was, life. yeah, it, it was an, an onerous um, request, but I also took it willingly. I also took it willingly because at that point, you know, I, they essentially took me in as their kid. And so there was a pay it forward, um, and then a reverse pay it forward. 
And so I've always been in that theory. And, uh, and even when he died last year, I mean, he was 98, he died the, the last day of February. Um, you know, it was right before COVID. Wow. And we could have, and so, but, you know, my thoughts were either we could shut it down, but I I couldn't do that. I I really couldn't do it. And I'm, you know, I'm happy to chat about that with you in the next part of this, but uh, (laughs) it it was really a a labor of love for him. And then for me, it was a big sense of responsibility to try best I could to continue what they did and then kind of switch it into what, you know, what we're trying to do now. And that was, so just two years ago, if you want to go back or three years ago, was it mainly still uncle Mike and his wife running everything? Um, well, we've had, a, we have a manager, Dave Costelli, who's been with uh, my uncle for a number of years. All right. And so he was the day-to-day operations guy. I was behind the scene helping to steer it, but Mike was still there every single day. Is that right? Isn't that because something? that was his love. That was his love up until two months before he died. He was there every day. Get out. But that's great. Yeah. So the sign on Route 6, is that all original where it's the temperature yes. and the that's all original? Well, time and temperature is not original. That's been there a long time. But, they but marked that's the structure. Itself. Yeah, right. the structure has been there since 1949. Get out. And then the so the entrance when you pull in and the guys are getting your tickets and all that, that's yep. that's fairly 40s, 50s. That's right. That's, that's all stuff from, <laughs> you know, late 40s, 50s. And we've tried really hard to keep the authentic stuff, but inside, you know, put digital this and put upgraded right. that, but try not to change the facade. And the same thing in the concession stand, try to keep it looking authentic, but the technology and what we're doing is, you know, hopefully current. You know, you look at the old place, but we still have a point of sale system on the register. So we're trying not to change the look and the feel, um, but we're trying to make it so that it's functional. I, I, so I think you guys realize this isn't a, a great earth-breaking thought for me, that part of the charm is the nostalgia. So you almost don't yep. want to change too much because that may turn people away. I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it's very, very <laughs> much. If we spend a lot of time and energy. In fact, it's, it's a lot harder to not upgrade. <laughs> That's right. But to keep it looking original, but still to make it functional, like we did with the digital stuff. Well, if you didn't know that technology, you wouldn't think anything changed. But right, you walk yeah. back and it is the same digital technology that's in, you know, any high grade AMC theater or Lowe's or anything. It's the same thing. Yeah. But outside, you wouldn't think that. And um, the only thing that maybe you might think a little different is that in yesteryear, when we were kids, there was the speaker on the pole with the wire. Yes, yes, yes. Well, when we changed the digital, then those went away and now it's all digital through your radio. Right. And you dial into that. So other than that, you wouldn't know other than you would say, wow, that's a really clear picture. Yeah. But you wouldn't know that it was a whole different, in, you know, it's kind of like an Intel inside. You can have the same box, but the inside of it was completely upgraded. Don't hate me because I'm not sure the background for this. I have one okay. of your speakers and I'm sure you guys would count on losing <laughs> five a year, 20 a year. I don't know. People would just drive away with them, take them. It's a cool thing. Yeah. I honestly don't remember how I got it, but I have one of your original speakers. You lose <laughs> you a lot. Had it, you should have had it on the shelf. There. Put it on the, the shelf back there. Was there a lot of that? Was that like built into the equation that you're going to have to buy Absolutely. 20 new ones every year or something? Every year, we probably need probably close to 50. Is that right? Yeah, because <laughs> some people would just some people would just forget 
and drive yeah. away and All right. rip it out of the window. Okay. And other people thought it was a cool memento. So yes. every year we had to redo it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone is wired to the hub through the ground, I imagine. This, this oh, just, it was all, all hardwired through because there was no such thing as blue, Bluetooth. I know, it's amazing. Yeah. Did you get a lot of people, or don't you even know this, because maybe you weren't there at the time, that would try, did you have any good stories of people sneaking in? They're under blankets, they're in the car in the back. And then what do you do? You call them out? Um, you, you can't call um, the cops. Well, what do you do? Well, there's a lot of those stories. And when I <laughs> when I worked at them, I would work in the ticket office or I would work and, you know, it would be pretty easy when you would see somebody drive in who was a 17 <laughs> year old guy. Yeah. Nobody else in. And it was for a movie that he's not watching by himself. And the back of the car, the trunk would be scraping <laughs> the bottom. And so so you'd call up to the top and we always have had a security guy on, on site. Right. And they, and they would go over to the car and just kind of wait there and then sooner or later you hear boom 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 on the back of the trunk because they're trying to get out and the trunk opens up and so sometimes they would oh that's the funny cops. so you let them usually the crime yeah so they would let them complete and then you chase <laughs> them off and inevitably somebody in there parent was somebody who one of the staff knew and so then the parent would get the call. And so that was far worse than calling the cops, as you can imagine. <laughs> and I had to relive that now when I went to see Blue Oyster Cult last week. And again, okay. um, I'm giving you some scoop for the gossip around the neighborhood. Oh, okay. yeah. They're not, they're not letting you bring any booze in. They want you to buy all their overpriced booze there. That's why they're doing that. So, so that was a little bit of a negative I heard. But I can see your uh, strategy there, too. That well, part of it, part of it was that, but part of it is also if if people came in and they drank too much, and then they left and they were driving, um, it does put some kind of an onus on us to oh, not. I see, have, see that? So it's a little bit of liability, but it's also having to do with uh, wanting to control it a little bit. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Yeah. And the concert thing just started. Is this the last year? Maybe that. Um, well, year? that that was a COVID creation get out of here um because we uh as i said he died the last day of february 10 days later two weeks later the world shuts down yeah and uh we couldn't open up for a couple months at all and then finally we started opening up for graduations um because i i saw in the papers that all these high schools you know the kids couldn't graduate and as you said earlier with my mom being a superintendent i'm very aware of the, of the school situation right and uh so we called a bunch of the schools and said hey you want to come and do the graduation we'll be happy to you know let you use the property uh, you can put it up on the screen and you know we're happy to do that as a community service and it just so happens and i'm sure it wasn't coincidental but you know i like to believe that it probably was uh, the very first school that said yes was Carbondale area, which happened to be where my mom was the superintendent. Full circle, and, baby, full circle. And so I, I get a call from Marty Lawler, who was the superintendent retired at that point, who was a junior teacher when my mom was the superintendent. And was my boss, by the way, for a while. And was your, okay. And, and was your my boss. principal. Okay. <laughs> and he called me up and we had a really nice conversation. I hadn't talked to him in 25 years. Yeah. He said, you know, I, I'd like you to uh, give remarks if you're willing to. And so at the graduation, in front of the screen on the stage, looking out at 500 cars, because nobody could be out of their cars, this was still very early COVID, um, I gave a welcome and kind of a, a little bit of a keynote 
speech to the graduates. And uh, oh, really? That's excellent. And, and I have to say, I, I've done a lot of speaking in lots of different places. And so I have, you know, like you, I have some remarks set up and the usual introductory part of, you know, who's there. And so I, I get in front of it and I look out and floodlights in your face. And all I see are cars. And I couldn't see any faces. I right. couldn't see all I just see is 500 cars. And so I, I went off script <laughs> and said, you know, I've done this lots of places, but I don't know if you're going to think I'm funny. I don't know if you're going to think I'm uh, insightful. I have no clue because I can't see you. So I'm going to have to witness. And, and so I don't know how to get in a response. And so all of a sudden in the far corner, one car started tooting their horns. And that became either the flashing of lights or the tuning of horn became the response Isn't to me as, as, a, as a speaker. And I will never forget that of all the speeches that I've ever given. And that just organically happened, right? It just, just happened. That's and, so, uh, so that's the, the, the physical equivalent of, of clapping. Yeah. We're going, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just, wow, that's something, isn't it? And, and at the time, because we were doing <laughs> the graduations, we got a lot of interest from national press. And uh, there was a uh, photojournalist, Michelle Agins from the New York Times who reached out to us. She was uh, from the city, but was embedded up in the Poconos when they pushed a lot of the people out because they didn't want them in the city because it was so high risk. Okay. She reached out, we met, we had a couple conversations. She said, you know, I'd like to do some photos. Um, I, I'm intrigued with this graduation idea. So she came up and she did a full shoot of everything that was going on during the event, after the event. And we actually became friends and she did a whole bunch of shoots over the summer. And it was picked up as a national release for the oh. New York um, Labor Day weekend, full page, full with all the pictures. And we were a main source of, of pandemic innovation across the country. So it was very cool. Now, being that there's a couple hundred other outdoor theaters, do you know if others did that before you, or you, is this like the first? I, I don't know if we were the first, but we were one of the first, if not the first. Get out of here. That's pretty cool. Crisis yeah, so, equals opportunity, right? Crisis uh, equals you know, opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And so then at the same time, we said, okay, well, that's nice, but how are we going to stay in business? Yeah. And um, there was a, a distributor who reached out to us and said, we're gonna do some live stream concerts on the screen. And the initial one was Garth Brooks. I heard about that, big success, right? And so they were doing that somewhere. And then, so uh, we decided to do it on the screen. It was a big success. Lots of people came, everybody was in their cars, everybody was socially distant. Yeah. And uh, we sat there and said, geez, we have all the streaming technology here to be sending, not just receiving. And so we then, after that, started to do the reverse. And so we started to have a lot of local concerts and uh, then we would stream them on Facebook. And so we became the source as opposed to just the recipient. And then the next step was somebody called us and said, gee, you know, are you willing to do some concerts there? One thing leads to the other. And we did about a dozen concerts last year live. And uh, it was a big success. Everybody felt very comfortable. It's the only place they could go and actually be out of the house. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we uh, you know, unfortunately we had some, some naysayers from the town who didn't like oh. the idea that there was sound that was kind of traveling down into Dixon city. And oh, that I see, right. 
And that, and that was a big dissatisfier for us because we had to hire attorneys and engineers oh, and sound engineers. Static. Oh, man. You know, I mean, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to bring some business yeah. in here. And uh, it ended up being unfortunate. And, and it hasn't gone away. I mean, they're still, they're still bugging us. They, you know, we have to have the sound meters to make sure it's not a certain decibel level. Oh, and, it, it's, and, and they forced us to turn. We had the screen up for the stage up next to the screen up on the mountain. So we had to take it and redo it so that it's where you saw it down on the bottom. Sound is going up. Did yeah. that solve the problem of sound? It's, um, it, it, it seems like it solved the problem because now it's getting absorbed in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. The traveling down. But uh, well, that was so another we, investment you had to make then a stage, the equipment, all that, right? Huge, huge investment. And we had to do it twice because the first time we did it, you know, they, they yelled and screamed. And so we had to pay another price to redo it. But it seems to me such an obvious outlet for um concerts in the future you park it's ample parking where are you going to find a bigger parking lot than in a movie theater uh right. drive in and then you simply walk out of your car and there's the stage i mean it's it's yeah. the perfect situation this should yeah. be well, happening at all drive-ins yeah well a lot of them are trying to do it but if you didn't have the technology then you probably couldn't do a simulcast with having it on the screen because you have to film it it's yeah. not like a movie that's yeah, yeah, so yeah. if we didn't have all the digital stuff in the beginning we wouldn't have been able to do any of this stuff and well, a lot I'm of them saying, forget about that i'm saying live concerts though oh yeah well clearly now it I mean, seems we're, we're, committed. For that. we're committed to do it we're doing it there are places across the country that are doing it but it's not for the life part of it i mean it's a big investment you've got to yeah. You know, by the band up front, you have to have the production team, you have to have the sound engineers, you have to have all the yeah. roadies. Another gamble. It, it, it's another big gamble um, per night. It's a big, big gamble. But so far, I mean, the first one out, we had the bad weather, unfortunately, with Blue Oyster Cult, but we're hoping that that continues. And I'm committed to continue that for the long run because it yet changes the venue instead of just being just movies. And then instead of being just the flea market, now it's moved to the next step of being the concert venue. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're trying to round out. And a couple of years before this all happened, probably five or six years ago, we also started the Halloween attraction, the haunt. And, and there's a whole different group of individuals. There are Halloween oh, freaks out there. That that Whole different group. <laughs> whole different group. And so what happened with that was the same thing. My uncle was getting older. Yeah. And he was starting to get, you know, a little, little slower, <coughs> excuse me, a little slower. And I read about this. It was in the Times or something one day. And so we said, gee, here's this other business that you use as a shoulder business, because that was September, October, when the, you know, the peak of the drive-in was starting yes. to peter out. Yes. So we, I went to a bunch of places across the country and we got some ideas and hired a consultant and we you know, we spent a few hundred thousand dollars developing that part in the back oh, and we man. put, you know, all the, the hay rides and the different facades and, the, and the, you know, we had to hire a bunch of actors. And so, so oh, now yeah. it's really more of an entertainment complex instead of just being yes. movie. And that's what we're trying to make it. We're trying to have it so that it's all year round, at least up until right now, we can go up to about the first of December until it snows. Well, and then we open up the first of March. Well, I was going to say, how dare you not exploit the most exploited time of the year? You got to be able to do something for Christmas there. Come on, well, let's put our heads together. You got well, something Well, we're thinking about we're thinking about doing one of those drive-through. If you've ever been down to like Tunkhannock one, yeah, and those 
So we're, we're actually talking to a few people now to try to put up something with a drive-through Christmas type thing. We haven't quite pushed the button yet, but we're, we're researching that now. I got a better idea. A week before Christmas, right? Right. It's called the, it's called the Santa Claus comes to the circle drive-in. And there he is on the big screen talking to all those children pulled up <laughs> in their cars. And he's whispering to everybody in some grand way. It's Christmas with Santa. And then you have fake snow fall down and then you're selling candles over there to the wives and over there, they've got some, uh, some other stuff for the fathers, maybe some, a beer garden type setup. I mean, come on, right. You got to take advantage I, of this. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. We're, we're, we're inching through them. That's the only gap. You know, part of it, we're looking to try to put some kind of a structure over the, um, so that the flea market can be partially indoor as well as outdoor. So they are in many places, right? Yeah. So we're inching piece by piece to do that. But I love that idea with Santa on the screen. You watch the ball drop for New Year's Eve right there. New York City is in front of you. Go on. I think that's a great idea. We've done done some football games too. We've been able to bring some, you know, Penn State (laughs) games and and big games on the screen. So people have tailgated. Um, They don't want to drive to uh, Penn State. We've done... Two or three a year. We work with the alumni. Another great idea. Yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, man, I love it. Um, well, does this mean I'm getting nosy again that you gave up your? Uh, you are, are you a physician? I I don't know you. I am. I, I'm, I'm, an I'm an emergency doc, and uh, did you I've been give doing that? that. Um, I don't practice clinically, but I I'm the senior guy. I run a large group. We've got about 300 physicians in uh, about 10 states now, and so, you're so a I'm busy the busy guy. So I'm, I tend to be a little busy. So I run the group and now this is kind of that, you know, know, passion type thing as as this legacy, this, uh, for, for my uncle and my aunt. Well, I look at it this way. If, if you live as long and healthy as your uncle, you got 30 years of 40 years of the of the theater business now awaiting. Come on, that's a whole life right there. I've got two more careers left in me. If I live as long as he does. (laughs) I think so. Well, this was great. Uh, I think we could wrap it up by you giving a little promo. So tell us a little bit sure. about uh, what's happening. So you got what well, coming up in the next few days. Every every weekend, it's the flea market. Every, every weekend on Sundays, the flea market. Um, okay. We've got movies that are playing every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, depending on what's going on. We've got a few more that fit in. Um, we've got uh, Eagle Mania that's coming. We have That one I'm interested. I'm going to be there. And now Absolutely. I know the big shot, so you're going to get me in free. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Get the Let Out. That's uh, a week from Saturday. That's the Led Zeppelin tribute band. Gotcha. Um, we've got Steve Earle, who's a country singer. He's I know Steve, Steve Earle is amazing. Yeah. So he's going to be there live. Um, we're playing a bunch of retro things with the Lackawanna Society, Historical Society. We're doing uh, um, Caddyshack. We're doing... Uh, Jaws, we're doing oh, yeah, all the, the old, older movies, yeah, like a classic movies. night. Yeah, classic night. Jurassic Park is coming up this week. That's um, excellent. Uh, in the later part of the summer, there's what's called Pop 2000 Festival. And uh, Lance Bass, if you remember him from NSYNC, uh, they will be there live. And so they're bringing a whole bunch of people from I won't that be at that. Of the only children. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a, uh, so we're hosting this year for the first time the Scranton Taco Festival. Yeah, here. And we'll have the uh, Bourbon Barbecue Festival. Too much. Yeah. And uh, too much. 
So we're rolling those things through. Then we've got, uh, this is this is the classic piece. We were, we were contacted from the office people. And so we're gonna host the office convention over at, over uh, Columbus Day weekend. Get out of here and just and, and play some of the series on the screen. We're going to play the series. There's going to be some <laughs> of the actors. Some of the actors are going to be there signing autographs. Get out of here. Um, we're working with the Scranton Chamber of Commerce. They're going to do a couple of bus tours to go to the various different sites in the Electric City. Um, so that and that's in in October uh, over over uh, Columbus Day weekend. And uh so we've got a bunch of these kind of little festivals. We've got some of the retro movies. We've got all the regular movies. And, uh, but these are pinpointed with these festivals. So more and more, we're trying to pull things in the day, not just at night. And then when we get to the fall, we also have the, uh, because we have the haunt, we're going to have the uh, uh, spooky film festival. Okay. Um, and, and that's a competition with a lot of the indies. Um, and then going back to your original thought of, you know, that first movie with Charles Bronson. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a guy now called Charles Bronzy. <laughs> Charles Bronzy is a guy who was very popular in Japan who looks just like Charles Bronson. And so he has a couple of, of horror kind of action movies. And so we're going to have a weekend showing his movies. Charles Bronzy. Bronzy, yes. Does he choose that name to mock Bronson? Is that that's not I, my accident? He looks just like him. His whole career is because he looks like him. With the little mustache has the same look. Um, oh, and man. so, and, and we've been contacted by a couple of producers. We to do some first run. Uh, we played a couple of Amazon first run uh, or concurrent with the, the live streaming. So we're trying to reach multiple multiple venues with the concerts, some of the festivals. And things that we never did before, but uh, again, as we were saying, you know, at the end of February last year, March, I thought we were going to be DOA, but it's, but thankfully we flipped pretty quickly, and so we've changed the whole venue now. I love it. Well, good luck with everything, and I know it's going to be a success. And uh, now I can brag to all my friends that I know you, and I know the guy Absolutely. who's behind the uh, circle uh, driving. Excellent. Absolutely. And you are welcome at any time to come up with your buds and uh, just see your fan club is already there. Yeah, that's right. Come up to you anyway. Right? Or if you see me pulling in alone with a uh, <laughs> with a lowered trunk, you know what's going on there too. I'm trying exactly. to save a couple bucks. I got a couple of kids in college. I got to do what I can. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe Calabro, uh, thank you so much for your time and the history of the Circle Theater. And uh, Mr. Curiosity here uh, telling everyone to spread the word and keep the uh, good interviews coming like this one. If you have an idea, give me an email, joe.snedeker at wnep.com. But I appreciate your time. This was Thank great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care. I hope you had a good time. All right. Thank thanks, you. Joe. I'm going to hit bye the bye. big red stop button. Okay. Thank Peace. you. Bye-bye. Excellent. Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity. About.